Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Eureka! I've done it, Sergio. You've done what? <laughs> I have done it. It annoyed I have me? done. Yes, you've certainly annoyed me. Absolutely, you have. <laughs> well, listen. Okay, I'm sorry. I've been gone for the last couple weeks. I had to. Yeah, that's yeah. That's probably not what you're mm. talking about when you say you've done it, though. So, what what is it exactly that you've done? I have nearly mastered a spell that could potentially get us out of here. Out of the tower. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and back home. Yes. Yes. Wait, but that's all well and good. But what about all this arcane knowledge and all this like ancient history that that is at our fingertips at, <laughs> in, this, in this tower? I'm glad you asked. See, while wandering the tower, I found myself journeying to the higher areas, shall you say, the plateaus. I don't, like, I don't go word, that. I don't go that high. I don't I, think it's the uh, word, but you know, I get really nasty vertigo. <laughs> well, <clears throat> in said area, I have found some dusty old tomes that could connect me with other planes of existence and those who rule them. And in doing so, I have gained a massive amount of knowledge that not only allowed me to create a spell to get us out of here and back home, but allow us to transport back here at will. Interesting. So we can continue to dive through these ancient tomes, but we can do it from the comfort of our own homes. You're, uh, this isn't going to end up like the last spell that you quote unquote mastered. My, my, the skin on my, on my neck still hasn't grown back. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. Well. But you know, what I would love to talk about is some of the tomes that I got into talked about how to become a god. Oh, uh... <laughs> yes, a deity, if you will, and that is what I want to talk about in today's episode: how to become a deity. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, it's a long road, however you choose, but there are multiple paths. But before we get to my notes, I first want to discuss. The difference between first and second edition, shall we call it deity status, and 3.5 and further. Okay. So, in first edition, second edition, it was, instead of them being calling deities or gods, they were called immortals. So, what it was to be an immortal was, it was still a long and lengthy path to get there. But instead of choosing a portfolio like you would today, you would instead choose a a sphere or a, for lack of better terms, a path of element decision. 
Okay. So you would choose from five different paths, and each one was represented via essentially an element. So earth, water, fire, air, and abyss. Abyss. Now, back in the day, abyss was the only one that NPCs could only take. So only NPCs could become abyss because these people are usually your big BBEGs. They're the guys that just are totally dedicated on destroying universes. Okay. So those guys and gals, real bad. So essentially, when you would become an immortal, you'd choose one of these paths and it'd be a long, grueling journey that level 36 players would do. Because back in the day when TSR owned everything, essentially you'd play in different book modules. So one through five, you'd go through, I'm sorry, one through three, four through 14, and then 15 through 25, and then 26 through 36. Those are usually your higher characters. That is where you would finally choose at 36, whether you're going to retire your being or because now you've amassed the knowledge that there is essentially another world or otherworldly powers that you could choose to become an immortal. So that's really the big difference between immortals and the gods and deities that we know today. They really only had one lineage. There was one power. They, that was it. Right, and that changes uh, as the game evolved and moved forward. Exactly. So now we have what we call deities, demigods, and gods. So before we go any further, we have to discuss and we really have to clarify the differences between them. And really the only difference between any of them is the portfolios they carry and their deity levels. So deity levels can be acquired multiple ways. You can steal it from other deities. You can gather worshipers. Um, you can slay enemies and obtain souls. It's it's really how you want to play the character. So once you've amassed enough of a power, you you essentially start off as a as a nobody. You're just at rank zero. You're you're basically just you have divine spark. One through five is where you actually obtain demigod status. And then it goes up from there until you've officially become an old god or, you know, a god, essentially. You get different powers at different levels and you become more powerful as you progress and accessing new spells. Your domain can get bigger. There's a multitude of things and we would take an entire episode just to talk about how those powers are different. So now we know the difference between demigods, sparks, and deities. So let's get into starting how to do it. Now the notes. (laughs) So we have a multitude of different different, uh, options here. You can be chosen for ascension. So that's the easiest one. You prove yourself worthy to the gods or deities that are existent in the realm. This could be through simply following simple tasks that they give you to you know, a devout follower. Exactly. Devout follower. Uh, you could go through, you know, Hercules trials. You know, 
is a multitude of different things, but if you appease the gods enough, they can choose to ascend you. Now, what they choose to ascend you to is completely up to them. So they could make you equal in power or they can make you a demigod that's below them. It's entirely up to their choice. So DM discretion here. But I would advise that whatever the DM decides, they really need to think about the tasks that they put forth for their character or their player. Was it difficult? Was it easy? You know, how long did it take? You know, all these things are factors to where you're going to put them in the deity hierarchy. So that's yeah, one I mean, of the- if, if, it, if it was like a uh, sort of Skyrim, hey, let's, uh, oh man, I lost my lollipop. Mm-hmm. Can you go find it for me? And then you go like, <laughs> you know, find it, bring it back. Like, I don't think you're going to achieve godhood just doing yeah. that. I'm, I'm thinking you have to do like um, sort of like the the labors of Hercules, like the seven mm-hmm. labors, labors of Hercules sort of thing to, yep. to, to really even get close to even being a demigod. Oh yeah. I mean the trials they explained. And if you guys are, if you're looking for the most current and up-to-date information, you can always check out Dungeons and Dragons, the 3.5 edition, uh, deities and demigods book. I have mine here. Um, it's really good read, and it really goes really in depth into some really light, lessons. light bedtime reading. It is. It's not. It's not actually as thick as the older books. It's it's reasonable. I believe it has like two hundred and yeah, two hundred and twenty-one pages. So it's not too bad. Not bad. Not no. bad. Um, but yeah, in there it explains. You know, it gives examples of things that uh, DMs can use to ascend essentially a player yeah the entire book is sort of like gives you uh, i mean it's a like all these like supplemental rule books mm-hmm. and supplemental lore books just go like as a deeper dive into whatever it is so like obviously you've got and this goes for any edition you've got your three core rule books your player's handbook mm-hmm. your dm's guide and your monster manual and then everything else uh chooses like some facet of the world some facet of the game and dives deeper into it and so this one has all sorts of information about uh, not only like the um, like the the tried and true deities that you would find in in D and D like the like the home like not the homebrew deities but like D and D's homebrew mm-hmm. deity like the official homebrew deities, <laughs> uh, but also it'll like um, it also includes stuff from um, like other um, pantheons like mm-hmm. um, it'll have uh, it has um, like the Greek. The uh, the Olympian pantheon like Zeus, Aphrodite, Apollo, and which is something that uh, the fifth edition incorporated with uh, um, with its uh, Theros book, right? The mythos, uh, the mythology of Theros. Yeah, yeah. They 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 discuss the pantheon and powers that you would achieve for worshiping, essentially, in that book. The mythic odysseys of Theros. Yeah, mythic well. odysseys. But uh, yeah, like I said, like these. Um, if you get your hands on on these older books, because you know, as they're uh, they're a lot more um, particular about what they release nowadays, which um, I can like I, I enjoy because it feels like when they do release something, it matters. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like I want as much as I can get <laughs> my hands on. I um, want that content. No, I, 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 and you know me, yeah, I've, I've said it, I've been on record across several different podcasts now 
So I've, even if even if the D and D lore cast is stricken from the the history books, every 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 uh, digital fabric inch of it is gone from the internet, from Mark Zuckerberg's internet. Uh, I've said it on other bo- podcasts as well, uh, including probably some of your own, uh, probably uh, you know the Fumbling Four mm-hmm. and the Almighty Crit. I know I've said it uh, probably on the Elder Scrolls lore cast with Tom. Uh, at my own fandom university, I am a co- I am a rule books junkie. I love <laughs> I love the I love the content. Yep, I can't get enough of it, which is probably why I still own about like forty uh, third edition books. Now, what I will say is, before we move on to the other ways, I firmly believe that soon we are going to get an updated version of these things. Because they are already releasing, coming up into the next year, so January, they're releasing the multiverse books. Yep, yep. So they're already they're already starting to trickle into that because when they released the demigods, um, the deities and demigods book from 3.5, they had already touched on the multiverse. So they're they're I feel like they're following the same pattern they did for 3.5, and I'm loving it. You know, they're updating, they're bringing things into the new system. I'm loving it. So keep and at it. <laughs> what's and not to get off topic too much, but with the the recent announcement that there's going to be like a a, a big change mm-hmm. uh, for the 50th anniversary, and a lot of people, including ourselves, have speculated that it's essentially going to be like a 5.5. Yep. Edition, like it's not going to be because they said everything everything that you own now is going to be compatible, mm-hmm. and. I and, and and keeping with your idea about the multiverse, I'm thinking that they're going to make when they say everything you already have is compatible. I think they're going to make it that much easier to use fourth edition, third and three point five edition, mm-hmm. second even the original D and D stuff with your with the current rule set. Yeah, I think they I think they I think Wizards and D and D have got something up their sleeve. I think we need to have an episode where we discuss the future of D and D before the next year. The next year is in a couple of weeks. Shh. <laughs> but anyway, let's get back to deities. So we've talked about Chosen for Ascension. Let's talk about Spark. Okay. Now, this one is a tricky one because there's multiple ways to obtain what they call a God Spark. This is a spark that contains all of the deity's essence or energy, essentially. So. There are multiple ways. Number one way that's the most popular amongst players is to steal a god spark. So in order to steal one, a lot of people think, oh, I have to kill the god or goddess that has it. No. Actually, a lot of deities actually keep their god spark or their energy essence within their plane of existence. So really, all you have to do is travel. It's a tangible item. it's It's not this like, you know, sort of like, it's not like their heart. Like they have to rip out yeah, their heart, like no. Indiana Jones style. Uh, yeah, it's a it's an actual tangible item, so it can and it, not yeah, like you said, you don't necessarily have to slay this mm-hmm. deity. Uh, you might just uh, yoink, just pilfer it off of them. Mm-hmm. Now, see, the thing is, is that when it's contained in the planes, uh, it's kind of an iffy subject. This is where a lot of DMs differ, and that's fine. Homebrew's great. <laughs> That's all I can say about that one. Uh, sometimes a deity has an item, like you said, a physical item. Sometimes it's just the manifestation of energy within the plane of existence. Some have taken the 
uh, you know, first edition and second edition approach where when you became an immortal in the first and second edition, you could essentially create your own planet with like 16 stars and seven other planets. You could create your own solar system. And then when you're done, you could actually destroy yourself. You could release all of your, you know, immortal energy to protect your plane of existence and you would be reborn as a mortal that had no idea that you were ever an immortal before. Right. So I like that. They've taken that concept in a way and adapted it to 3.5 and, you know, up to 5e deities, which is their plane of existence is protected by some of their spark or their essence. It doesn't stop them from being a deity. It just kind of lowers their tier, their ranking system a little bit. But in that in that sense, their their realm is protected. So you go there, and you would have to siphon their energy. And what that would entail is is you know, and this is again up to DM's discretion. Some DMs have them create an an item to siphon the energy from the realm. Others, it's a incantation or spell or a ceremony. It's entirely up to you as the DM how you want to allow your characters or your players to siphon this energy. Yeah, and it's it totally in keeping with the like the tone of mm-hmm. your campaign. Uh, you know, fumbling for the almighty crit, you're siphoning that that deity's energy. Will probably have to do with like you know, um, like some sort of like ale drinking contest. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. like something something ridiculous <laughs> and and funny. But oh, yeah. you know, if your if your campaign has more of a serious tone to it, you know something like something badass like Mm -hmm. you know having to uh like find a like underwater waterfall in in the underdark that's you know in the middle of a drow settlement oh yeah i mean there's what i have for my my deities is each one has almost like a task or trials you have to complete and one of them actually is a drinking game you have to complete a drinking how, game. How did I know? How of did course, I know? of course. It's a drinking game slash you have to then beat them and best them in combat while being intoxicated. That's the way that they will willingly give up their powers to you because you've bested them. Um, but this deity is known for drinking and fighting. He's the god That's of barbarians. Portfolio, yeah. So it's it's kind of his thing. Uh, but other ones, you know, you would have to... It's, it's an entire process. You'd have to go and obtain a magical item and melt it down using, you know, fires from, you know, the top of the highest mountain and, you know, lightning. And it's just all kinds of chaos in order to get just this little tiny pebble that you can use to siphon some energy. But yeah, the siphoning part is completely up to you as the DM. Right. So the next thing we have is, now this one is kind of, you kind of beat around the bush with it a little bit. Uh, this has been up for debate for a while. I, the way it was argued to me, I like it. It makes sense, but it is creating a god spark. Okay, there. Interesting. Yes, it is mentioned somewhat in the book, but it's never. And this is why it's so hard because even in deities and demigods book for three point five, it doesn't go super in depth with creation of deities. Uh, it kind of beats around the bush a little bit. It gives you. Here's an idea of what you can do, but you know, you're the DM, so you're in charge of your own game. It does that thing all over again. Right. Yeah. So 
uh, one that's been discussed widely is creating a God spark. And there are two major ways to do this. Number one is create a devout, devote following. Okay. So you would have to be a zero level deity or, you know, spark. You would have to have maybe like 2000 devote followers, 2000 people that follow your beliefs and your teachings and boom, you are the beginnings of a God. Then it would have to progress from there all the way up to some DMs argue 100,000 people. Others argue a million. It's entirely up to you anywhere on that spectrum. But just know that the number has to be large. If you're going to put them equal to somebody like Vecna or Paylor or, you know, these deities that have been around for ever and are all powerful, you're going to want to make them work for it. No. Yeah. I mean, if you, you consider like a, a, a deity like like Paylor, mm-hmm. they have, you know, uh, temples and, and shrines and churches yep. full and full of devout followers, you know, devoted clerics. Yep. That you know that continuously and and consistently like pay tribute to mm-hmm. to them and so yeah yeah you just can't have it, it can be like you in a in a three-bedroom apartment with like two homeboys and like <laughs> hey man i think you're the best <laughs> i guess i'm a god now bro <laughs> uh, no that's not how it works so that is obtaining worshipers okay here's where we get down and dirty if any of you at home have watched Full Metal Alchemist, you'll know what I'm about to say when I talk about the Philosopher's Stone. I've seen Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter. Close enough. No. <laughs> so <clears throat> we're going to talk about the Philosopher's Stone for a minute. The Philosopher's Stone and Full Metal Alchemist, you know, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't fully watched it through. So you can skip this next five seconds. Essentially, the Philosopher's Stone is created from sacrificing a large amount of people. Okay. Once sacrificed, you can, a couple other components added here or there, and boom, you have a Philosopher's Stone that gives you whatever you want. So, in essence, creating a God spark can be done in the same way. You can sacrifice anything from 100,000 people, willingly or unwillingly, simultaneously this is the key here it has to be simultaneously or you can sacrifice an entire universe to create a god spark that's i i would probably oh wait how do you sacrifice a universe see that this is why creating one that way is a lot more difficult it's it is up for debate it is 100% up for debate. I've I've gone to forums, I've looked through books, I've, you know, YouTube videos, everything. And it always comes down to is it 100,000 people? Is it devote followers? Is it an entire universe? And it's been agreed upon that it's either or. You can either do 100,000 people willingly or unwillingly or an entire universe. How much you sacrifice depends on the power of the god spark you're going to receive. So right. hundred thousand yeah. will give you bare minimum of a one. Yeah, it'll it'll yeah. it'll get the process started. Exactly. I mean, think about that for a second. You got a deity rank of one because you killed a hundred thousand people at the same time. It's a lot of people. There's a lot of people to kill at once. 
a lot of people like, do they all have to die at once or can it be like a, a steady stream of like human sacrifice over like a three-day period see that again was another thing for up for debate i will leave it up to the dms at home but i would say it needs to be simultaneously because if you're going to create something in such an evil manner i know you can do this i have thought of multiple ways to do this yes it's i mean if you enslave a couple dragons you know what is killing somebody? You know, I would say arguing simultaneously in the same day. I'd say, you know, you don't have to kill them at the exact same time, but all in the same day would be my definition of simultaneously. They all need to be within a 24-hour span. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot harder to create it than it is to get devout worshipers. Right, right. I mean, so that is the creation of a God spark, in essence. You can steal it, you can create it, and here we have, you can siphon it from magical items. So, in essence, every time <laughs> Text and Star says, start a cult and distribute it through the Kool-Aid. I mean, yeah, that's exactly. a way. <laughs> it's not what I had in mind, but that's a way easier way. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yes. You have, so, it's like best of both worlds. You have the followers and the deaths. Exactly. Uh Siphon it through magical items. Now, this one's a little bit more complex. As we, at the end of every show, we give a magical item. Now, a lot of people don't think about it, but magical items are either created from high, powerful level, you know, high-powered wizards or magic users, and sometimes gods. So in order for a god to create a magical item, it would be easy to argue that the god would have to put its own magical essence in that item. So therefore, you could argue, I can siphon the energy from this to obtain portions of a god spark. So if you obtain enough energy from siphoning magical items, eventually you could create your own god spark, essentially. Right. right. So the slow but surely, slow but uh, yeah. surely. And nobody has to get hurt, and you're not div- you know trying to acquire worshippers, and there's no time frame. You could literally do this over the next 25 years, just gathering magical ancient artifacts that have been touched by the gods, you know. So here's the catch 22 with that, though. This is the part that makes it difficult. You can either, and it's again, another area where it's up to DM discretion. You can either have the party member or player equip the items to essentially gain access to the spark, or you can have them siphon the energy in almost ritualistic ways now what i mean by this is let's say you have a shield that's been touched by paylor the shield gives you divine energy it gives you pluses on all your spell casting and it casts light i don't know well that's a pretty potent shield and pretty potent magic but the way to siphon it is you're going to have to go you're going to have to melt it down in the vents, the fire vents of Avernus. Once it's melted down, you're going to have to mix it with holy water, and you're going to have to cast fire incantations, protection incantations on yourself, and bathe in it to gain that essence. Yeah, uh, this isn't, you know, this isn't, uh, uh, this is going to be an easy process. Like, nothing no. about 
any of this no. is meant to be easy. No. Uh, another way, you, you know, another thing you could say is uh, water. We'll say there is a diamond or a jewel that's been, you know, blessed by the gods. You could grind that up into powder, mix it with holy water and drink it. You know, that one's a little easier, but as you progress, these magical items get more potent. It's going to be more challenging. So that is siphoning magic items. This one we can go over really quickly. It's essentially just being born a deity. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the easiest. I guess that one is easy. Yeah. So, I mean, prime example in Faerun, the the all-powerful god there is Ao. And he controls all. He created all gods. Done. I create a god. You're done. Now, this would fall under more of the DM. You know, the DM's creating demigods and gods for his campaign. Uh, I don't want to go, you know, too far in depth in this because it's it's extremely self-explanatory. They're born. Done. Now, what I will go into is something that I have done is instead of just being born because I said so, you're born from a collective consciousness or collective power. So in the homebrew campaign that I run, we have a deity who is known as Univeris. And they came about through the war between gods. It was, you know, huge clash, all this energy, planets are being destroyed, stars are being born. All of this was happening and because of this massive amount of energy gathered in one place, boom, Univeris was born. Right, and right. they essentially embody power itself, the universe and power. So they were born through chaos, essentially. And there are some other deities that you know we can go into that that is a similar origin for them, but they were usually a physical body or idea before being born out of utter chaos. So that's just an idea that I personally came up with to make being born a little bit more interesting. So let me ask you this being born. So I'm going to assume uh, you can use like standard Greek mythological uh, like origins where a, a God can come down and either impregnate or become impregnated by a mortal? Well, no. I mean, that would be the creation of a demigod. So Right. So so you've got a demigod walking mm -hmm. around, sort of like Hercules, Mm -hmm. the aforementioned Hercules, uh, half man, half god. Yep. uh, All hunk. And... uh, (laughs) Let's say you kill Hercules or you kill this demigod. Do they have that same spark in them that they, 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 you can then use to ascend yourself? Yes. Essentially, any being that is of the deity tier has basically this immortal essence or this deity spark, this power. So the celestial power, if you will. Right, right. Anybody within the deity tier has that. So killing anybody on that tier to include another mortal that just happens to have like a zero rank, you're still going to get some powers from them. Yeah, just some some random mm-hmm. Joe or Jane that um, perhaps, uh, you know, their their mother 
said an emotional, uh, you know, you know, especially emotional prayer or made an especially, um, significant offering to mm-hmm. a God, Yep. you know, right before she went into labor and that God or God has blessed them. Exactly. Bless their child. I like that. I like that. That has a lot of potential for adventure hooks. It does. Not only, not only with, uh, within your own characters, but with uh with npcs like acting as bodyguards um but yeah mm-hmm. but i like the idea of um this um i i am all about um character i'm all about players and dms getting together to to build characters yeah and and even the the dm as a result of because uh because of the dm uh at least for me uh I know I don't make my players do this, but uh, <laughs> I don't make I, them I, do anything. I'll ask them if they if they'll allow me some uh, some allowances, mm-hmm. some some leeway with their with their character to stuff that they might not even know about them. Yeah, and so one of those characters very well could have that spark without knowing it. Yeah, and like you know, hints and and hints and stuff are dropped throughout the campaign until it's finally revealed. And, you know, they're a level 10 rogue that's been stealing their entire life, you know, come to find out that they have, um, they have a spark from, from a god or goddess. Oh yeah. And that's sort of like been, uh, in the background their entire life. Like it's sort of been guiding their entire journey more or less. Yeah. And Mary in chat brings up a good point. There's, there should be some creative license in both directions. So the player wants to create something, you know, all for it. I'm, I'm so game for that, but I also want some allowance here because a lot of players don't come to the table with 16 pages of backstory that covers every little inch. And even those players I've had, I've still been able to weasel my way in to make some great plot hooks and a little weasel. Yeah, I am. Uh, so, I mean, it would, it kills me when I'm not allowed to do that because I'm not doing it to take your character from you. I'm not doing it to steal your pride and joy. I'm doing it to give you something to be further invested in. I want you to be able to feel like you are truly this character and a part of this world. And by giving you a plot hook that attaches to this main campaign or even the side quests that you're doing, I want you to feel like you are responsible, essentially. You know, I feel like creative, you know, just like Mary said, creation needs to be allowed in both ways. So all that being said, I feel like we've got a couple more things to go over, but I feel like we should do them after the break. So let's take our mid break. Yes. So, Sergio, we're at the middle of the show. Middle is so middly. I love it. <laughs> so, Sergio, do you want to take a minute to thank our patrons? I do. I absolutely do. Uh, first and foremost, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go in no particular order except for this one. I want to thank Lupus Malum, uh, our uh, deity. Speaking of deities, uh, our deity patron. 
Uh, Lopez is able to play our monthly campaign that crit comes up with. Uh, I played it. Um, last time we were, uh, last time we played, there was a lot of, um, talk of discussion of eating a certain pony. I don't really want to get into it. Um, I think that was taken the wrong way in the wrong context. I just said it's clipped. It's clipped. I just said the horse looked delicious. That doesn't mean I want to eat it. I mean, Uh, I can say something looks delicious without wanting to eat it. Uh, But yeah, in addition to doing that, he also is able to uh, get all the certain, all the perks we've got. We got Mm -hmm. t-shirts, we've got stickers, we've got, um, you know, one-on-one time with uh, me or, or crit uh, or both to discuss like the, the flesh out campaigns or mm-hmm. characters or adventures. Uh, but if, uh, if you don't have the, the, the dimp, if you don't have the gold to shell out for deity status, there are tons of other uh, levels that you can help us out at, uh, including the as low as $5. Um, and like even there you get early episodes, you get ad free episodes, uh, and moving on forward, you get bonus episodes, you get, like I said before, t-shirts, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, but I want to thank, uh, Chris Mitchell, Remington Cloutier. We both want to thank them. Of course uh, we Jared, do. Jared Bush, uh, uh, pie man, AKA Maverick, who's going to start his, uh, fallout round table show here pretty soon. Very excited about that. Uh, Jonathan Sutter, Wolf, the sheepdog, Daniel Paleo, and our newest patron, Sergeant Reaper. Thank you so much uh, for signing up. Uh, and if uh, you're interested in any of that cool swag or extra content, visit patreon.com slash dndlorecast. If uh, you're unable to support us financially, just keep listening. Thank you so much for listening. That's more than enough for us. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's more than I could ever ask for is for people to listen to my insane D&D ramblings. <laughs> I really you're being able to do this show once a week uh and you know, saves my wife that that hour-ish of time that I'm not talking to her about D&D. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot stress enough if you cannot find the spare gold or copper in your pocket, don't stress it. Tell a friend about us. Listen to us. You know, just you can support us in multiple amounts of ways and it doesn't have to be monetarily. We do yep, this because absolutely. we love you. We want to bring a smile to your face every day and we love D&D. So that's that's all there is to it. So no pressure. We love you guys. So with all our patron thanks and listener thanks out of the way, I do have something for us today. So you ready for this, Sergio? I am. There's new minis. Maybe. There's new oh minis. Goodness. You're so excited. Oh, I'm so excited. So I thought I noticed a certain, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> little uh, pip in your step, jump in your step. I don't even know what ooh, I'm saying ooh, anymore. Ooh, 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 ooh. So here's the thing. Fizzman's Treasury of Dragons just came out. March 2022. Fizzbin's Treasury of Dragons is going to be releasing 15 miniatures. Okay, so we're going to take a look at some of these. I'm going to bring them up on the screen for those who are in the Twitch chat right now. Uh, If you're listening to the audio version of it, we will have links to all these in the show notes. Yes, and before I bring them up, I'm going to say, as always, you can always go to minisgallery.com 
and you can look up all the lists of miniatures that have ever been for D&D. We're talking all the way back to the starters. So here we have, I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring it forward here. I got I to gotta, I gotta bring it up. We're hiding it. Here we go. There we go. So we have our miniatures. We have the first one on the list is a green dragon. Now, this thing is, I'm going to bring it up big screen for everybody at home. This thing is awesome looking. I mean, it's got the long dreadlock kind of like nasty slick black hair. It, it just, it's gnarly looking. Uh, I don't really know how to explain it. It kind of looks to me like a, almost like an orc, not an orc, uh, like a troll crossed with a dragon. I mean, it's pretty cool. That's all I got to say. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. So that's our first one. Uh, the next one we have is Dragon Blood Ooze. And not really much to say about it. It's ooze that's red and has dragon scales in it. So there you go. <laughs> um, we have an unknown mimic. Now this one's cool because it looks like it's either going to be like a, a tub of bathing water or it's like a, a barrel or uh, it kind of, it kind of looks like <clears throat> um like an old school like uh like uh like hot tub like a yeah like an wood. old hot tub is the easiest way to explain it yeah uh, and it's pretty cool I've got all the other mimics that have been released so far and I definitely want this one <laughs> that was pretty cool <laughs> it's pretty cool so we also have an red dragonborn and this was pretty cool because the daggers floating in his in in their hand they're kind of hovering and there's like these crystal gem type things floating around their head. I think this is supposed to be like our Ruby dragon, like our Ruby dragonborn. Uh, Ooh, I like it because remember when we talked about Fizzman, there's like the crystal dragons have these different things associated. Like their scales might be, you know, crystal. They may have crystals floating around their head. So, right, yeah. Yeah. So that one's pretty cool. We have Fizzman himself as a miniature coming out. Uh, and he's dressed in his typical green robe and green hat. And he has what looks to be like a little yellow parakeet or something on his finger. Uh, it's I'm ready for this one. I want this one. <laughs> if I don't get any of the other ones, that's the one I want. Um, he looks uh, he looks like someone's like really like chill uncle. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a new green dragonborn and. It's just a simple green dragonborn and what looks like traditional rogue attire with a, uh, I cannot remember what those things are for the life of me. Um, you put meat in it. Uh, uh, goblet. Uh, no, it's not a goblet. A, uh, tankard. Tankard. Yeah. Tankard. Uh, yeah. Just, it's just a basic green dragonborn. Uh, the blue dragonborn looks pretty sick. I mean, they're carrying an axe. They've got all this armor on. It's it's pretty sick. So those are a couple of them. I'm not going to go through that entire list, but I am going to touch on the fact that we now have an Elder Brain Dragon miniature coming out. I'm ready for this. That's disgusting. <laughs> That's, it's savage it's, and you know it. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. It's nightmare embodiment. We also have it's, a Draco yeah, that's, Hydra. That's nightmare fuel for real. It is. Uh, we also have a Draco Hydra coming out, which, you know, I'm not terribly 
excited about this one just because we have Tiamat. I mean, yeah, Tiamat's not, you know, Dracohydra's not Tiamat, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to use a multi-headed dragon, it's going to be Tiamat. Let's let's be honest with ourselves. <laughs> true, true. But those are some of the miniatures coming out. And like I said, if you want to check out the full list of them that are out right now, it's minisgallery.com. Um, but that's what I have for all of us today in the miniatures corner and the newest releases. What do you have for us in the DMs corner? Well, in keeping with the idea of deities and gods and demigods and um, and how to become them, uh, what if a what if a what if a uh, erstwhile you know party member turns rogue, and I don't mean rogue as in the class, but rogue as in turns evil and turns their back on you and ascends to godhood on their own. And you're forced to take down your former compatriot and kill them. How do you do that? Well, Alexander Feltham, with his God Slayer spellbook, has just the thing you need. There are eight spells to slay a god. It's a collection of spells and rituals for mages that, when cast in a certain order, detailed within, has the power to physically attack a deity in such a way that the god has little chance of survival. So this is a sort of, you know, break glass in case of emergency sort of thing. <laughs> That's uh, what it sounds like. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's very cool. It says unleash the power of the God Slayers today. So you can figure out these eight spells. It's only a dollar on dmsguild.com. Again, we will post a link to it in the show notes. Uh, homebrew stuff is some of my favorite stuff in this entire. I mean, it's it's part of the reason why I love D&D so much. You already know how I feel about it. <laughs> I already know how Crypt feels about it, but just the idea of being able to, you know, make a can make a story your own. And even if it's even if you're playing something from a uh from a you know officially licensed module or adventure, you can still, you know, tweak it and change it and make it your own. And stuff like this is uh is exactly like, you know, what I'm excited for. And so yeah, that's this is this is how you get to kill a god. Uh, through magic. And then when we come back for part two of this becoming a deity uh, special, uh, I'll give you an, uh, a DM's Guild corner of the week pick for how you can kill a god using weapons. Ooh. So, with all that being said, I think it's time to dive into the final part of the show. So I only have two more ways that are talked about amongst the D&D fandom and in the books to become a deity or equal to deity power level. When we start talking about part two of becoming a deity, it's going to be focusing more on uh, pantheons and, you know, your portfolios. You know, how to pick a portfolio. What would you get a portfolio? We're going to focus on that in part two. This is adventure, just adventure hooks and stuff. Yeah. Like that. This is just how to get there. These are the ways yeah. we're doing it. Like how to get there with part one right now. Yep. Part two will be like, once you're there, what, what do, you do you do? Yeah. So to finish up part one here, 
We've talked about being chosen for ascension. We've talked about spark stealing, creating, or siphoning. We've talked about being born. We've talked about being massive power collective. You're just being created from this massive surge of energy. But we didn't talk about one thing. A wish spell. A wish spell. So there the are... almighty wish yes. spell. So there are some... Again, these are gray areas. Becoming a god is just a huge gray area. You know, becoming a god or goddess is a huge gray area in D&D. It's not really talked about. It's not really done a lot. But with wishes, here's where it comes to pass. With a wish, you have to be careful most of the time when wording it. Because if I just walked in and said, I wish to be a god. Well, now you're the god of ants. Great. Fantastic. Or you're the god of nothingness. Yo, I'm going to cast you out into a void of endless nothingness. And there you go. You're the god of it. Have fun. How emo is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, text and star nailed it. Wishes are dangerous. Downright dangerous. So if you're going to use a wish spell, I would advise, number one, that you talk to your DM about how they feel about it because some DMs even put wish spell on the banned list of wish, you know, spells that you can use at their games just because the wish spell is so powerful. Uh, another thing I would talk to them about is how particular they, they are on their wording. If they're just going to take you for face value and say, I wish to be a god, and they're like, okay, we'll give you a pantheon, we'll give you a portfolio, we'll give you whatever you need, then cool. But if they're going to be like, you just got to word it right. I would not advise it. I would choose any of the other options because getting out of the wish is going to be 10 times more difficult than getting a, a hold of a spark. I'm just saying. See, I, I, the whole thing about a wish is it, um, I mean, it, I, it depends on the, I guess the, the sort of magic that you're using, I guess. I mean, like, cause the, like I think of, and this is a weird like grab from my brain, but I think of twisted metal and how like when you win the twisted metal competition, you're allowed to get something like you're allowed whatever you want from the, the person who put it together. Mm -hmm. And one of them says like, I want to fly. And the guy's like, all right, cool. And so he like jumps off the building and splats on the ground. And then the guy pulls two like plane tickets out of his pocket. He's like, oh, I guess these are going to go to waste. <laughs> and so like, it's sort of that idea. Like you need to be careful, like how you word stuff. But yeah, I think it would also depend on like how the, like the particulars of the wish spell, like who's casting it. Yeah. Um, like what, like power they are, um, uh, like, you know, using mm -hmm. to cast it. Um, if it's a, you know, uh, a deity that's on the, on the lawful good, uh, you know, in the alignment, then probably, you know, they wouldn't matter how you word it. If you say like, I want, you know, my, I want my loved one to live, you know, to survive this, this illness. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll be able to like, I know exactly what you're talking about. However, yep. if you're trying to like pull a fast one on a, on a chaotic or even an evil deity, then wording it just all haphazardly is to your is to your disadvantage for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, and I feel like at this point we should talk. We should do an entire episode on wishes. No, like yeah, different for types. Sure. So, if that's something you y'all want to hear, you go to the Discord and let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know. 
because I'm I would like to do a episode about that. <laughs> but anyway, so that's Wish. The last one, uh, in probably the most difficult, dangerous, and downright diabolical ways, is Lichdom. Yep, Lichdom. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of explaining Lichdom, because I'm pretty sure any if you're listening to this, you have a pretty good concept and knowledge of Lichdom. So instead of explaining Lichdom, I'm going to explain how to do it. Because it is a process. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> is. So the first thing is, and most important thing is, you have to seek out the forbidden knowledge. The Forbidden Knowledge is the book of vile darkness that was created by Vecna, the god of secrets. The cover is made from human flesh, demon bone, and the ink is in blood. What blood? We don't know. The book will convert you to evil. If you're not already evil, being in the presence of that book is enough to just make you evil or start to convert you. Here's how you know you have the right book. Plants will wither and die in its presence, and animals will stay far away from it. This is how you know you have the actual book of Vile Darkness, because through the eons, copies have been made. Across the multiverse, copies have been made. But there's only the one original. And you may ask yourself, okay, well, this is all fine and dandy, but if there's only the one, how am I going to get my hands on it? Well, that's what makes this book interesting. Legend says that it has a will and mind of its own, and it will seek those out that truly deserve the knowledge that it holds. Truly deserve? Truly deserve. Can be the most easily manipulated. <laughs> DM discretion. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our book. Let's say we have our book of vile darkness. What do we do now? Well, this is the two part. Okay. First, we have to create a potion of lichdom. And secondly, we have to create a phylactery. Now, this is if you want to do, and this is where the DMs come into play. This is the traditional Lichdom transformation, which makes it, I'd argue, fun and difficult for your players. You also have the other one, which is you can cast a series of spells, which we're not going to go into in this episode because it's quite a lengthy list. Um, you, you have to cast them at the right times in the right order, and once it's done, you can create a phylactery, and boom, you're done. You're a Lich. With this one, congratulations. I, yeah, congratulations. With this one, I find <laughs> it the more interesting one. So we're going to talk about this one. So the potion of lichdom and the phylactery. Let's start with the potion of lichdom. It takes twenty-five weeks and five hundred thousand gold pieces to prepare. Okay. Now this fifty thousand gold pieces is for materials, time, energy. You know, it's it's all you'll need to create this item. Right. This is only after you've acquired these items. Two drops of arsenic. One drop of belladomain juice. One quart of blood of a dead unicorn killed by a wyvern. Okay, it has to have the venom in the blood too. Can't just tear it to shreds. 
has to have the wyvern venom in its blood. Okay. Dead demi-human flesh slain by a face spider. Yes, you heard that right. It's <laughs> getting oddly specific. Yes, it is. One quart of blood from a vampire. One heart of a humanoid killed by poison. The reproductive glands from several giant moths ground into dust. One pint of venom from a fave spider and one pint of venom from a wyvern. Once you have all of these components, you must mix it under the light of a full moon in the exact order that the items were given in the book. So DMs, if you want to screw with your party members, write it down once and let them see it for like, I'd say like a minute and then take it away from them. If they don't get it right, that's that's on them. (laughs) Why would they why would they get it taken away? Because the Book of Vile Darkness has a will of its own. Remember that. Right, right, right. So if it wants you to see the spell, it will allow you to see the spell. Otherwise, it'll just shuffle it up in its endless amounts of books or pages. So, yes, mixed under the light of a full moon in the order given in the book. You'll know you accomplished it successfully if the liquid in the container is a bluish black sparkling substance. This substance only lasts seven days. Okay. So that is that. Next thing we have to do is we have to create our phylactery. Now, phylactery is a significant item or significant thing to the individual, and it has some criteria. You can't just be like, I love this rock. This is Fred, (laughs) my pet rock. No. My pet rock, Fred. Yeah. So here are the criteria to creating a phylactery. It needs to be a significant item to the individual. It has to be inorganic material. Okay. And it has to be solid. Those are your three criteria. Okay. Once you meet those criteria, you have to use 50 weeks and 100,000 gold pieces to create it. So right around a year and right around a small fortune? Yes. All right. Yeah. So once you have these things completed, let's just say... Instead of doing that, you choose a childhood doll. You could do that, but keep in mind, your phylactery is what you're going to contain your very life essence in. Mm -hmm. So if you really trust a doll to do that, cool beans. (laughs) Best of luck to you. Really put some thought in your phylactery, because if your phylactery is destroyed, then you can be destroyed again. Yeah, of course. It's like a like a horcrux. Yeah. Essentially, your phylactery is an anchor to the material plane. It is what keeps right. your soul here. So once you have completed these items and you're ready to continue on with the ceremony, you have to drink. You have to cast a spell on the phylactery to siphon your soul into it and drink the potion that you've created. If done correctly, you will die. That's something you don't hear too often. (laughs) If you did it right, you'll die. Huh? So, in 1d6 plus 1 days, you will be reborn as a lich. After you've become a lich, it's not smooth sailing from here. 
you must feed your phylactery souls to keep its magic going. If you do not feed its souls, you will turn into a Dimilich, which is essentially a floating head that is crazy because it has all this power and knowledge and can do nothing with it. They're almighty powerful. They can cast spells. They can kick your butt, but they are crazy, so they don't know how to truly channel that energy to persevere and pursue goals. They're just there. They just exist with all this power. Could you imagine existing with an abundance of power and just being unable to truly utilize it? That's how I feel every day of my life. <laughs> You're truly insane. You're truly insane. But no, the Demi Lich is awesome. I mean, like, yeah, like it's like this giant floating skull. Like, think of um, like any sort of like uh, like uh, like 90s um, sort of like black metal like t-shirt uh, like you know fly, floating skull with like fire in its eyes mm-hmm. like surrounded by green flames uh, yeah Demi Lich is cool Demi Lich is very cool they usually have jewels in the eyes too yeah so those are our top ways to become a deity now you can feel free to make your own and feel free to tell us about it because I would love to hear your homebrew ways of becoming a deity. <laughs> but those are the book and agreed upon across the DM fandom or the like D&D these are fandom. The, these are the official ways. We yep. want to hear your homebrew ways. Yeah. yeah, these are the official and officially acknowledged ways to become yep. a deity. So that brings us to the end of the show. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. So, of course, at the end of the show, I have to give my magical item of the week. Let's hear it. Right. So I'm going to bring another one out of my homebrew vault. Since we're talking about deities, I thought I would bring an all-powerful deity-slaying weapon. Oh. Yes. I like it. So we're actually utilizing this right now in the uh, Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crypt podcast. Uh, I won't give any more details yet because I'm not sure if that episode's released, but this item is going to be in, if it isn't already, it's going to be in one of the future episodes. And it is called the Arrow of God Slaying. The Arrow of God Slaying. Yes. Or uh, the Street Slaying God Slayer Arrow. Got it. So what this is, is it's an arrow that's been carved out of the remnants of bones from Ao. Imbued with the magic of Ao. And it has been carved into the shape of an arrow. When thrust into a normal mortal, it will instantaneously kill them. And it creates a magical barrier that prevents them from ever being reborn or resurrected. It it totally eradicates them from existence. Their soul is no more. They will not rest. They are completely eradicated. I mean, that makes sense considering that Ao is sort of like the god of gods. Like, yes. Like, you know, as far as like deities go, like he was the one that, uh, like he, I think he's known as the over god. Yes. Because like he was that much, like all other gods were subject to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, you know, pretty much everyone else, even uh, like Lolf, bowed down to him. Exactly. So, here 
is the catch. When used on a god or demigod, it has the power to either A, drain them completely of their life force, or B, drain them completely of their deity power and status. Now, I say A or B because it is completely up to the wielder on what they want to do. You cannot choose both. You can either kill the god or you can take their power. Once chosen, it cannot be undone. Right. Now, here are your catches. No mulligans. No No mulligans, no take backs. So when it comes out of your mouth, player, be sure you mean it. (laughs) (laughs) So here are your catch 22s with this. Number one, if fired from a bow, the bow is completely rendered useless after being fired. So that means... I can see that. I mean, that that much power... Exactly. uh, ...would be too much for for a bow to to, to handle. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is only one bow in existence, which I will give in the other gods episode, that can handle the power of the Godslayer arrow. So... Once it's used on a bow, that bow is completely rendered useless. I don't care how much magic is in it. So there is only done. one. There's only one type of specific bow, or one bow type of bow. In, period. One bow. Period. There's only one specific bow in existence. So no bows can handle this arrow no. except for that one. Okay. Except for that one. Um, and we'll get into the reasons why. But. That is rule number said one. That it's a uh, that it's Cupid's bow. It's Cupid's bow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Toasty nose. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's rule number one. Rule number two: When utilized, you need to roll a percentile. If you roll fifty-one percent or higher, the arrow breaks and is completely rendered useless. It loses all magical properties. If you roll a fifty or below, the arrow can be utilized again. Uh, so, but the bow's fine. No, no, the bow still gets destroyed. So, how about how do you? you if only there's only one type of the, there's only one. No, bow no, 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 no. We're it. talking about the arrow itself. You roll a percentile. If you roll fifty-one or higher, that arrow is destroyed. Yeah, but you said that when you use the arrow, the bow is destroyed. Yeah. So there's a fifty-one percent chance that both items are going to be destroyed. Your arrow, your bow is destroyed no matter what. Your arrow has a 51% chance of being destroyed. So what good is having the arrow still if the bow's been destroyed? No, I I think you're misunderstanding, sir. The bow's gone. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, if the arrow's... If the arrow... If you got the arrow... I mean, you could stab somebody with it. It's still a sharp point. That makes sense. Gotcha. Right on. That makes sense. (laughs) I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? The bow's broke. Yeah, no. So, yeah, your bow breaks. You can fling fling that sucker. You can fling it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, monks can throw. Monks... Monks... Remember that. (laughs) If nothing else... If you take nothing else from the Mm D&D lore cast, remember... Monks can throw. (laughs) Monks can throw. So, anyway, yeah. So you have a 51%, you know, 51 and up, it'll break. 50 and below, it won't. Once you've done that, the last catch-22 is there are only three of these arrows in existence in the multiverse at any given time. So the chances of stumbling upon one or having one are extremely rare. 
So those are your three catches. And I've given it three because, I mean, come on. This thing can literally kill a god by shanking them. I mean, one little nick of this and you're dead. Right. So, I mean, it's got to have some pretty potent drawbacks. But yes, that is the God Slayer arrow for this week. I like it. I like it a lot. It took some time to make. Give me a break. <laughs> uh, Tech says that using as it was because of the kind of power that it has, using it as a shiv, he feels like it shouldn't be possible considering that kind of power. I could see that argument. I kind of liken it to in uh, Fellowship of the Ring when Sauron's uh, like you know fingers are cut off by the like shards of a blade. Mm-hmm. Like I it's could, you know you're gonna have to you know roll mm-hmm. something fierce to for it to work, but yeah. you know that's you know that's that's the appeal of me to in D and D is like if the roll is right, you can you can achieve what would you know otherwise seem impossible or just or or improbable. Yeah. At, at I best. could I can see where text is coming from. I would say. Yeah, I would require a significant power roll or strength roll in this case. Uh, I would require some sort of heavy-duty roll to see if you could even stand after using it as a shank. Um, And if you fail, then you're going to take a pretty hefty amount of hit points, I'd say. Or, yeah, or it could blow your arm off. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. You're going to kill that god, but you're going to end up without an arm. Now, see, the thing is, is that I would argue... Uh, because this weapon was intentionally was originally made for deities to use. If a deity is using this weapon, it's going to do nothing. It's going to be a basic arrow to them. And you know, I would also argue that if a monk throws it, it's not going to do because the monk is using their key to throw it, not their pure strength. So I would argue that it's not going to do so much, much more than fatigue the monk severely but again you feel free to tinker with it at home if you're like nah i still think the monk should get his arm blown off go for it, <laughs> go for it. we love it we love arms go, being blown off here go for at the it D&D lore cast but uh but yeah no um those are some really good points tex so it's time for us to wrap the show up let's wrap it up it's another wonderful uh, wonderful show <laughs> we will be back next week mm-hmm. as always yep however next week will not be part two of this deity uh special uh we were originally supposed to cover the brand new D book uh, strixhaven mm-hmm. curriculum of chaos however uh our our local comic book stores did not get their shipments in um and so i was thinking like i called uh, monday and they said they weren't going to get them in for tuesday when it was released I called again yesterday, hoping that maybe I could just cram in all the material, like stay up, like stay up like a like a dumb college student <laughs> and st- try to study for a test the night before. Um, but they didn't even get them today. But uh, so uh, we'll they'll get them in the, sometime this weekend. So we'll be able to cover, uh, read up on that, cover that, and we'll be uh, coming with that coverage on the new content next Tuesday, and then the following Thursday Tuesday after that. Thursday, right? <laughs> I'm just still wishing that I could have gotten this dang book on Tuesday. Uh, next Thursday, and then in two weeks we'll be back with part two on this becoming or this yeah this becoming a deity special. Yes. So, 
Sergio, what do you have to tell our lovely, lovely listeners about? What are you up to? I love you guys so much. I'm not up to much. Uh, my other uh, podcast, Phantom University, is taking uh, a winter break, as is the, uh, the, the collegiate theme of it. Mm-hmm. However, we are doing a Matrix mini-mester, which will debut after the Matrix Resurrections uh, comes out. We'll be discussing the ideas and themes behind the original Matrix trilogy, as well as offering our thoughts on the new movie. Does it live up to the originals? Is it worth uh, being included in the canon? Uh, All all that cool stuff. So be on the lookout for that uh, late December. And then uh, we'll be back uh, with our regular schedule every other week, starting in mid-January with Scream. Scream 5 comes out in January. We're excited to get talking about horror, even though it's not uh, spooky season. You don't need to be in spooky season to enjoy horror. No, I always enjoy horror. <laughs> that's pretty much that's pretty much it for me. Well, as always, I have a ridiculous amount of podcasts. So many podcasts. Uh, <laughs> so many podcasts. Um, I'm actually going to take a minute and I'm just going to shout out the one this time that I'm more interested. I'm, I'm most interested in this week, which is taking quite a few developments, actually. Uh, which is the fumbling four and the almighty crit. Um, we've taken quite a turn from the comical as of recent. I mean, it's still funny. It's hilarious. We got ampersand the other. Uh, he dressed up as a uh, ampersonia in one of the most recent episodes um, to evade some uh, uh, bad guy activity. Uh, <laughs> and we had uh, uh, our lovely, a lovely patron for that show. Uh, Wolf's lore. Uh, joined us as a goose, which was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, we, yeah, we've switched gears in some of our more recent episodes as we are coming to a season finale here soon. Um, and I promise the season finale will be worth the listen. But uh, other than the fumbling four and the almighty crit, we have, as usual, we have uh, Delta Green SCP files, which is our Delta Green pod, Cyberpunked which is our cyberpunk red pod uh, resident evil lure cast where we have off. We do the same thing we do here, but for resident evil uh, nights of darkness is a new world of darkness podcast. Um, we have avatar journey of the elements, which is the new um, avatar legends uh, TTRPG. That's just been released from magpie games. It's fantastic. And we are live playing it and it's awesome. <laughs> And of course, we have our Call of Cthulhu Mythos mysteries. So those are what we got going. A lot of, a lot of uh, tabletops role playing mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, it's a lot of role playing. Um, I would say this week, if you could check any out, I'd say Fumbling Four and Nights of Darkness. Definitely give those a listen. Avatar <laughs> But anyway, that is all we have time for today. So until next time. Next week. Next. Yeah. Next week. So uh, until next week, we will see you all later. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DND Lorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. Listening to a Robots Radio Podcast.
shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Hello, gentle listener. Every Friday, be sure to tune in. What the hell are you doing, Ampersand? (laughs) Hi, Charlie. I'm sorry I broke in. I thought I was the only one to talk to myself. Well, I'm letting everyone know about the Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit. It's a 5e live play podcast. Join us every week. Where do we find it, you old crusty coot? Uh, Anywhere you can get all your podcasts. It every Friday, you stupid cat. <laughs> hey, all you wannabe raiders out there, it's your bestest girl, Rose, coming at you up from top of the world. Now it's time for your local traffic and weather. Welp, looks like almost everyone's still dead, so traffic is at a standstill. <laughs> And now a word from our sponsor, because they're totally not bribing me with massive amounts of chems or anything. Seems as the stuffed shirts are back at the White Springs playing games with that total loser modus. But hey, if that's your thing, whatever! So if all you squares wanted to hear more, totally, sort of, but maybe not boring stories about rebuilding Appalachia and being all goody-two-shoes, Definitely not Raiders. Check out this thing they call a podcast. The Modus Files. Whatever that's supposed to be. On Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else you listen to those things. Double Ugg. They're not paying me enough for this. Till later. This is Rose. Raiders rule. <laughs>